Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. April Vokey, and you are listening to Anchored, my chance to speak with some of the most influential people involved in the outdoors today. Join me as I travel to sit face-to-face with my guests in their own homes to learn more about their careers, opinions, history, relationships, and life both indoors and out. In this episode of Anchored, I'm joined by Catherine Laflamme and Tim Arsenault from Michael & Young Fly Shop to revisit the discussion about choosing a first fly fishing setup. Both Tim and Catherine are accomplished anglers, casters, and salespeople, so I thought they'd be perfect to answer questions from a person who's new to fly fishing. We discuss fly line composition, taper, weight, function, and all the little things many of us just assume to be common knowledge. I hope this helps to get some of you out there on the water. Okay, let's see. Hello? Hello. Hey, it works. So far... What about Tim? Is he there? Check it, check it, check. <laughs> this is awesome. I'm just going to go ahead and get stuck right into it then. Basically, what's happened is this. Charles and I did this podcast called Choosing a Fly Rod and a Reel, and we promised that we would do this follow-up about choosing a fly line, but then when we sat down to do it, we realized that Charles is from like 1980. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm kidding. He's not. Well, yes, he is. Um, but but he was saying that he doesn't feel comfortable doing it because he's not up to date with the lines that are out there today. And I thought to myself, I know two people who are totally caught up with the lines today, and it's you, Catherine, and you, Tim. So here we are. Both of you are beyond qualified to do this episode because A, you both work at Michael and Young Fly Shop, which is, in my opinion, the best fly shop in Canada. And also B, you are both Spayorama competitors and both of you are supremely talented. So Catherine, would you mind telling me Tim's bio if you had to come up with one? You could hear him from a mile away. That's probably a good way of summing it up. especially his laugh. Tim's been in the industry for longer than most people I know. If you have any questions about spay lines or spay casting, he's the guy you want to talk to. He's just a fun guy to work with and talk fishing nerdy stuff about. And Tim, what's Catherine's bio? Uh, Well, Catherine's been coming to the shop since she was really young and then started working with us uh, not long after that. Since then, she's 
fished for just about everything you can fish for around here. Uh, she's one of the best female casters out there. She's an incredible fly tire. She's got a very diverse sort of fishing background. She's fished for a lot of different stuff. And so she's really well-rounded. And so with all those things, we're really happy to have her at the shop. Now, are both of you guys okay if we focus specifically on single hand lines? Of course. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to be John Doe, which is who we focused on last time. Um, I think Charles and I basically chased John Doe out of the store. And so I thought (laughs) I would actually go into a real store. So I am going to be Jane Doe or Jane Smith or whomever. I'm going to walk into the door. Hello. How are you guys today? I'm new to single hand casting and my father-in-law gave me a five weight fly rod. What do I need to get started? Well, usually how I would start off is I would ask where you're fishing first, because where you're fishing is definitely going to make a difference in what kind of line you're going to pick. So if you're fishing for, let's say, trout in a lake, that might be different than a line that you would use to fish for trout in a river. Okay, so I am fishing for trout in a small to mid-sized river, and I also have family over in Ontario, and I do a little bit of smallmouth bass fishing as well. Well, then I would actually look for probably a more aggressive weight forward taper for that. And so basically that's going to deliver all of your trout stuff for your fishing around here, but also perhaps have the ability to deliver a small popper or a woolly bugger or something that you might fish for some smaller bass. Okay. Now I'm confused. Catherine, you do a lot of lake fishing. If I were to Mm -hmm. go fish a lake, why would I want to have a different line? Well, in a, in a lake, there's a lot of different water columns that you'd want to fish. So there isn't really one all-around line for a lake. You'd want, you know, a floating line gets you started and gets you fishing that first surface, maybe slightly under the surface water column. And then a lot of the times you're fishing under the surface. So full sinking lines and various sinking speeds are super popular and, and kind of necessary when you're fishing lakes. So a floating line gets you started, but if you want to be more successful, having a variety of lines, if you're going to be fishing lakes, helps you a ton just to cover more water, different seasons. You'll, you'll fish different water columns, different bugs live in different water columns. So it's, it's good to have a variety when you're fishing lakes. This is going to cost me a fortune then. Is well, it, is it going to well, cost me a fortune? Not necessarily. I mean, there's, there's lines from, you know, talking in Canadian dollars, you can get decent lines from $30. You know, there's there's entry-level lines and there's expensive lines too, right? So if you're just getting started, you can get a couple different sink rates, you know, get that $30 range and, and then you're set, right? But does that mean I have to have a different line on different reels? Like, am I going to need to have six different reel and line setups? Not necessarily. I mean, if you're just starting out, you could do a floating line and and one sinking line. So you can get a a reel that has interchangeable spools that cost a lot less than getting a whole other reel, right? Do tell interchangeable spools. Yeah. So all your... So so weird being so new, but it's so fun. All reels have a spool that you can remove from the cage of the reel. So a lot of the times you can buy spare spools for your reel. And that way you don't have to invest in buying two separate reels just to have the ability to change line. So you can buy one reel for your rod and have two separate spools with different fly lines. So you could have your floating line on one click it into that cage of your reel and get going. And then if you want to have your sinking line on, you can take that spool off and put your sinking line on. Very easy. How does one line float and one fly line sink? 
Well, that all relates to density. So basically a floating line is less dense, so it floats higher in the water column. And then lines with higher densities sink faster or sink, period. Okay, so what about this really old, thin, bright green fluorescent line that I found in my father-in-law's drawer? Does that mean it's a sinking line if it's a really thin line? Well, not necessarily. A lot of times, if it's a brightly colored line, I would say it's most likely a floating line. And the reason I would say that is because floating lines are made in bright colors so that you can see them on top of the water. Whereas generally, sinking lines are are done in darker colors because they'll be under the surface. And it's a little stealthier to have them dark colors, but also you're not going to be tracking them with your eyes. Okay. Is it a different coating on the line? Uh, Yeah. So it will be a higher density coating. And with the density, usually there's a thing called specific gravity, which I'm not probably well-versed enough in that to talk about it. But the higher the density of the line, the, the lower it'll go. So the coatings on the lines will be denser. Sometimes they'll apparently be impregnated with some kind of uh, weight, like some tungsten or something like that, that'll make them sink. And then the floating lines will be a lot less dense and they will have a lower density, which will make them float. Okay. So how come when I go into the store, some fly lines are $60 and some fly lines are $30? What is the major difference in the price point there? Well, there's there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, everyone's talking about their new coatings, different cores, but basically a lot of your higher end fly lines will have, uh, like Rio has a thing called the Connect Core, which is like a low stretch core. A scientific angler has this new amplitude coating, basically makes the line a lot more durable. Um, So it seems that the more expensive ones have newer technology, I guess you would say. What about all the fancy stuff? Like I noticed that some lines come with a a welded loop on the end and some lines don't. That's true. There's definitely a welded loop on the end of the premium lines, but a lot of entry-level lines come with uh, a welded loop on the end of them as well these days. But what's the advantage for having a loop like that? The great part about that is you just don't have to tie nail knots to get your leaders on all the time. So it takes the knots out of the equation. So it really helps people that are new because they don't have to tie this fancy knot. And then another great benefit of having that loop on the end is that every time you attach a new leader, you're actually not cutting your fly line back. So usually when you'd be attaching a leader, you would cut off a little bit of line in order to attach that new leader. And eventually over time, your fly line shortens quite a bit. Whereas with the loop on the end, you're never cutting the fly line back. You're just looping these leaders on. And most leaders that you'll buy for your fly lines these days also come with a loop in the end, just because a loop in the end of the fly line is so standard these days. How much are lines that don't have a loop? Are they substantially cheaper? Well, our, our lowest end entry-level line is $34.95, and it comes with a loop in the end of it. Oh, do they even make them without loops anymore? Maybe I'm 1982. <laughs> but not many. If there's a loop, does that mean that I can just take any piece of sinking line? Or a sink tip and just attach it to the end? No, unless it's a fly line that's actually made or uh, it's cut back for adding sink tips, I wouldn't recommend throwing any any sink tip on, on any fly line. There's certain lines that are actually made to add additional weight to them. Like Rio makes a line called the Rio Versatip Kit. So you get this fly line that's cut back 15 feet so that you can add additional sink tips and it comes with a wallet with four interchangeable sink tips. That being said, you can get a regular floating fly line and add sinking polyliters on the end, which are actually just a tapered monofilament leader dipped in a sinking material. 
So they're much lighter than your regular sink tips and you can add them to your floating lines. So that'd be the, the cheapest way of doing it, but they don't have the same weight or density, I guess you could say, as, as those other sink tips. So they don't quite sink as much or keep that depth like the, the Rio Versa tip kit does, but it's definitely a way to go for sure. When you say cut back, how long is the average fly line? About 90 to 100 feet. So if you're taking the front 15 foot off, um, but you obviously have to replace it with something, right? So you have to you have to use that fly line with one of those tips. Otherwise, it's it's not it's incomplete. This is a loaded question, so I expect it to take a while. Can you explain how that 90 feet is tapered, or how the shape of it changes from start to finish? I'll let wow. Tim. Ta- I'll let Tim take that one since he's making his own fly line company anyway. Exactly. Yeah, Tim. What is your fly line company? It's a company called Bridge, and it's Bay Lines exclusively. And there are lines I made. <laughs> but are they for fancy casters, or are they for you know everyday fishing? They're they're definitely specialized to start. They're longer floating shooting heads. So they are on the more challenging side of things to cast. And of course, those are the things that I like to fish. When I made the company, I really thought probably the best thing to do would be to make the lines that I wanted to fish the most um, because it kind of keeps your heart in it and keeps you sort of fired up on the process. So I found the best way for me to learn about designing a fly line would be to tackle uh, designing lines that I would want to use. And then I figured along the way, I would learn enough to start to make some different kind of fly lines. So at the moment, they're just sort of longer, full-floating shooting heads. But I do have some plans for some shorter sort of sink tip stuff as well, coming out probably early in the new year, most likely. You are the perfect person to be asking about fly lines. I'm so happy that you agreed to do this. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. So just to be pretty general with it, most of the lines you're going to see today are weight forward. What that's meant to mean is just that the thickness or the weight of the line is generally contained within the front portion of the line. Um, so what do you mean by weight? How can a line be weighted or heavy and, and what is the weight measured in? Sure. So the weight is generally measured in grains. That's the sort of accepted metric that we use on that in the industry. And the way you can make a line heavier in one place or another is to increase the thickness or increase the amount of material in that section of line. So in most of our fishing today, we use weight forward lines. And so the thicker portion of the line that contains most of the weight will be kind of in the first 30 to 40 to 50 feet of the line, of course, starting from the tip and moving back. Okay. So the part that's out of the rod, not attached to the reel. Correct. Yes. And then we will usually have a thin shooting line attached to that. And that is generally for shooting in behind the head as you cast. Okay. Does it look a lot different than the first 30 feet? It does. It's very thin. It is uh, noticeably thin. So when I teach casting, generally one of the first things I'll do is I'll cast the head portion or the weighted portion of the line, the front portion of the line out with a bunch of the shooting line. And I'll show the student the difference in diameter between the shooting line and the thick head portion, just so they can get an idea of how much thinner it is in the back than it is in the front. And then to sort of instill the idea when you first start casting weight forward lines that you're casting with the head and then shooting out the shooting line to get the distance, basically. Okay, so I'm looking at a fly reel right now, 
and I think I see what you're talking about. I noticed that there is a really thin white line. Yeah, and then there's a knot, and it goes to an orange line, and so that must be the fly line, right? No. <laughs> I, heard, I, I, heard heard <laughs> I pray to God that somebody listening to this isn't just picking up now, because they're going to be like... Boki has no idea what she's talking about. <laughs> uh, yes, Catherine, you did. You heard the word "not." What? What? Catch me. Call me out there. What did I? What am I looking at wrong here? Were you looking at the backing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember being a newbie, and I remember all of the confusion. So I'm totally hitting you like a newbie. So, what is backing, and how can a person tell the difference between backing and running line? So, backing is a thin braided line, and it's there because your fly line is probably only 90 to 100 feet long. And if you hook a larger fish and that fish travels more than 90 to 100 feet away from you, you don't want to lose your fly line. So it's there to fill up your reel to capacity. And it's also there to serve as a bit of a emergency backup plan if a fish goes far away on you. And it's basically going to be a thin braided material, whereas your fly line is going to be uh, plastic and not braided, basically. Okay, so how much backing do I need on my reel? Well, it depends what you're fishing for. It depends on the size of the reel. But generally, most people would accept that about 100 yards of backing would be a reasonable amount. Okay. So back to this weight forward thing. If I'm casting, why does it matter if the weight's in the front of the line? Well, because it's the front of the line that you're casting first. So if we had the the weight at the back of the line, we would have no weight to cast as we work the line out. So basically, the weight's at the forward because that's the first thing to go out the tip of the rod. And it's the first thing traveling towards the fish. So it only makes sense that it would be in the front. Okay. (laughs) You're so patient. It's amazing. (laughs) Can someone explain to me how it loads the rod? The three of us, we've all done spin fishing before, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, with your spin rod or your level wind, if you don't have a lure on and you don't have any kind of weight on, if you attempt to cast it, the line doesn't go anywhere. I guess we can all agree on that, right? Yes. So what we do with our with our spinning rods is we add weight in the form of a lure, and that'll give us a bit of distance. But if, if we need more distance, we actually clip on more weight. And what this does is bends the rod a little bit more. So coming from a spin fishing perspective, if you clip on more and more weight, eventually it's going to help it cast further and further. But eventually you're going to get to a point where you put too much weight on And it starts to negatively impact the casting of the rod because you've actually overloaded it. So you can think of the front part of that line as a long, flexible plastic weight. That's the perfect amount of weight to bend the rod that you're casting or to cast the rod that you're casting. Makes perfect sense to me. Good. (laughs) So if, (laughs) thank you. So if I go to the store then, Tim, and say you're busy and I don't want to bug you. How will I know, I mean, all these fly boxes look the same. How will I know that the fly line is a weight forward line? It will have a code on it, WF, and that stands for weight forward. Some would have like a DT, which is a double taper. What's that? A double taper is a taper at each end of the line and a big thick part in the center. So it's it's a line that we don't see used very much anymore, um, but it's a twin taper on either side. And basically it's just very thick in the center. So it's a kind of an older school sort of line we don't see as much and a little more difficult to cast in a weight forward. And that's, of course, why the weight forward has sort of dominated the market. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. 
make a statement, or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. So now I'm going to take this five-weight rod of mine, and I, I really want to fish this um, this big, ugly-ass fly you've got in your bin here. It looks like a big um, frog. <laughs> will will this five-weight fly line that you're selling me or or having me look at right now, will it be able to cast this crazy frog? I don't know, Catherine, will it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what line you're showing her. Um, if you want to cast a big, ugly-ass frog, I would I would look at getting a five-weight fly line that's designed for casting big, ugly-ass frogs. So something with maybe a little more weight in the front, maybe a shorter head. They make a lot of bass fly tapers nowadays. So if you were looking to get a line specifically for bass, I'd, I'd probably look at one of those. What is What are the number one questions that you get from people who come in? Uh, wow. Um, there's a lot. <laughs> when it comes you know, the to tro- the standard lines, trout, it's, yeah, the standard trout angler. It's pretty much what you, Miss Jane, um, already asked. You know, what what line should I get for my rod, or what line would you recommend using on the Squamish River or for coho? It's pretty specific to species, I guess you would say here, or or location. I noticed that the fish in my area are very spooky, and I see here that you sell a clear line. Should I just buy a clear line for these spooky fish? Um, Not necessarily. A lot of the clear lines are intermediate lines, so they sink very slowly. So unless you wanted a, a line that sinks slowly, like if you were fishing for coho or maybe cutthroat subsurface, or if you're fishing in a lake for trout and you want to you know, fish shallow water for spooky trout in, in shallow water, I would look at getting something like that. But just remember that they do sink. Um, there are a few lines that are clear. I think Airflow makes a clear floating line. Um, but I think really they do. Yeah, the Ridge, Ridge Clear. I think Ridge Maybe. Clear. Yeah, that's the one. Wow, that's cool. I didn't know yeah. that there were any clear floating lines. Stealthy. Uh, okay, so I'm afraid that the bright fluorescent orange line or green line is going to scare the fish. How do I get around that? Well, not all floating lines are <laughs> fluorescent colors. They do make stealthier, toned down floating lines now. So they're you know light 
tan colors or more like a camouflage tan or light brown, maybe a pale orange. They're not very, they're, they're not all very offensive colors. <laughs> okay. But when I'm spin fishing, I've got copious amounts of clear monofilament and that obviously doesn't spook the fish. How can I be guaranteed that this fly line isn't going to, or the color of the fly line isn't going to spook the fish? Well, you're not attaching your fly directly to the fly line itself, right? So you're going to have a clear monofilament or fluorocarbon leader on the end of that fly line. So if you're fishing for spooky fish, you could use maybe a longer leader, so 12 feet or maybe 15 feet if you're a decent caster, and depending on what, what flies you're casting. So that shouldn't spook the fish. So you're saying that I'm going to need to add a clear line to the front of this fly line? Yes, so if I'm starting from scratch, I've got the backing first to the reel, and then I've got the fly line, and the back part of the fly line is the running line, which is going to taper into a fatter body, which is heavier, so it will allow me to cast and load my rod. And then I'm not going to attach my fly to the fly line. Instead, I'm going to have a long piece of thin, clear monofilament in between my fly and my fly line. Is that all I need? Just a, a leader and a fly? What's this tippet stuff? Your leader is tapered, so it goes from thick to thin. And every time you change fly, you're actually chewing away at that thin section. So if you wanted to make your leader longer or, you know, make it back to that same 12 feet or 9 feet or however long it was, you would add tippet, which is the same. Usually, generally, you'd match it to the size of the smallest point of your leader. So if you were to buy, let's say, a 4X, 6-pound leader, you would get a 4X, 6-pound spool of tippet so that your leader would last longer. Ooh, the X's. <laughs> what is this X scale? It's very confusing to me. It's fairly confusing. It's their way of measuring the diameter of the smallest point of the leader, basically. So depending on... I can see Tim staring at the, the <laughs> leaders right now. <laughs> Go ahead and explain. <laughs> I, I think to make it simple, generally speaking... If you buy a leader that says 4X at the tippet, it's pretty general that you would just grab a spool of 4X tippet to go on the end of it. I think it's probably meant to make it simpler. I think where it gets a little confusing is when the Xs get somehow confused with the pound test, you know, stuff like that. But I think the idea behind it, and I, I could be wrong, would be that it would be easy to say, well... I got a 5X leader. I'll just grab a spool of 5X tippet. I, th I, I think that was the idea behind it. Does it say right on them the poundage? It does, but that can change. So I believe that the 4X refers to diameter. And that's, well, it's pretty stable across the board. But yeah, like a 4X is generally a six pound. A 5X would generally be a five pound. A 3X would be 8.5. But the great thing is, is that's written on the package with the leader. So you would want to pick an appropriate pound test for the fish that you're pursuing. And then you would see that X designation on that leader. And then you could get the tippet that says that X number. So talk to me about this five weight rod. I'm ready to buy. I'm ready to give you my money. Ooh, oh boy. Oh boy. Do I need to have a, like how much grain weight am I looking to buy for this rod? Or 
Do fly line manufacturers make it really easy? And do I just buy a five weight line for my five weight rod? Generally speaking, yes. That's that's pretty much how it works. A five weight rating refers to the amount of weight in that weight forward portion of the fly line, um, generally. And so most of the manufacturers have, uh, line manufacturers and rod manufacturers have somewhat decided on what a five weight is. And generally speaking, if you've got a five weight rod, you can just buy a five weight line and be done with it. It just sounds really easy. But I think that was the idea behind it. (laughs) (laughs) And it's kind of funny because we're like talking about the leaders and it's sort of like the X's where that gets a little confusing. Um, But I think the idea is always to make things easier. Um, I I think that's always the intention. All right. Have I missed anything? I mean, somebody who's just listening to this right now, they've never been fly fishing in their life. They've got their rod. They really do just go in, get their backing put on, buy a weight forward fly line in the same weight as a rod, have someone attach it properly to the backing or learn how to attach it properly to the backing, buy a leader, a tapered leader that matches the fish that they're targeting and buy a spool of tippet to attach to the leader once they start to to trim it down. Does that sound about right? Oh, sounds right to me. Right. me. Oh, sorry. Yep. <laughs> Jinxy. Oh, me Coke. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, let's get real for a second about something just while I've got you both here. It's been a really long time since I worked in a shop, but I would imagine that a lot of the conversation remains the same. I read a lot of people's comments who say that they walk into a fly shop and they feel like they're ignored or they feel intimidated by the staff. Is that something that you guys hear a lot of from customers? I hear that from maybe some other stores. I mean, we tr- we try to do our best. Obviously, if, it, if the store is full of people and it's super busy, it's hard. I mean, there's only two of us here at a time, so it's hard to maybe get to everybody in a quick manner. But we try to do our best to, you know, at least say hi to everybody and see if they need a hand with anything. But I've definitely heard that a lot. You know, people come into the store and like, wow, like, the service here is amazing. We don't get that back home or, you know, at Cabela's or something like that. Right. But generally, if you go into a mom and pop, mom and pop shop or a little local tackle store it's a small space and we know who comes in and out and we say hi and try to help out everybody right can i ask you guys something that you're probably going to be uncomfortable answering but i'm going to ask it anyway okay be honest is there (laughs) such thing as a stupid question in a fly shop (laughs) yes (laughs) if you come into the fly shop asking about booking a flight or you you think this is a travel agency then yes it's a very stupid question and i don't know how many times that's happened no can i book a flight here do you guys sell lawnmowers (laughs) what why lawnmower i don't know that you would have to ask that person that question (laughs) and then the look of disbelief when i say we don't like it's yeah, and then they know. look around. They look around, look like if you're hiding a lawnmower. <laughs> Wait, you've had you've had more than one person ask that. I've maybe had uh, that lawnmowers. a couple of times. I no, I've had lawnmower. <laughs> it's like an outdoor, maybe from the outside. But I think too, what does that is we're we're in a location in Vancouver that has a lot it's got of a ma- lot of marijuana. Walk- <laughs> <laughs> well, that, yeah, legalization has happened. However, um, there's a lot of folks just walking down and. Um, and I think that's probably what does it. But I'd agree with Catherine. Those are those are kind of weird questions to ask for sure. Are there any no. that are that people just get really uncomfortable asking, or any that are super obvious that people listening might have, but they're too afraid to ask? 
Like I, for example, oh. I remember when I first got when I first got into it, I brought my reel home. The, you know, the line was all reeled up onto the reel, and I remember looking at it, thinking to myself, "Now, when I go to put this line through my rod, does it go below this part of the reel cage, or does it go above it?" Like I didn't. You know, how there's a gap where the mm-hmm. line goes oh, through. Yeah, we get questions like that, but I mean, that's that's pretty normal. I mean. When you don't know anything about fly fishing, I would expect that you wouldn't know anything about that either. So I, I think we try anyway to assume nothing, right? What about cleaning fly lines? Is that something that needs to be done regularly, if at all? I think it's a good idea. What'll happen over time is your fly line's going to accumulate some dirt and whatnot, some algae or whatever it is in the river or stream or the ocean, wherever it is that you are. And uh, basically, it's going to need a bit of a cleaning. And it's best done with dish soap. I think. I mean, that's what I've used. And then after you're done cleaning the line with dish soap, it can be really great to use a treatment like Glide or Rio's Agent X, whatever brand of fly line you're using. That's always a great, they usually have a product that goes with that. Scientific Angler has a line cleaner or a cleaner treatment as well. Cortland does as well. If you apply that to the fly line, uh, usually it'll bring back some of its slickness. Of course, there is a there's definitely a uh, like an expiry date on that. I mean, if you've got a line that's 25 years old and big chunks of it are falling off and, and you apply the cleaner and the treatment, it's probably not going to bring it back to its uh, former glory. But within reason, it, it should help improve the, the performance of the line for sure. Is there anything else that I have missed that you can think of that you wanted to add? I was just going to say, I, I know we didn't really talk about reels much, but Jane Doe only came in with a rod. So I just kind of want to point out that you, you're you matching the line to the rod, but you're also matching the reel to the rod. So if, if mm. you don't want to put, you know, a 12-weight reel on your 5-weight rod, right? So you want to match that. So your your 5-weight rod gets a 5-weight reel or 4-5 or 5-6, whatever, somewhere in that zone. And then you put your 5-weight line on that. So you just match everything. You guys, thank you so much for staying behind after work tonight to have this conversation with me. Is there anything that you would like to add or to ask me before I let you go home to your families? Uh, I'm good. <laughs> I think I'm good. I Yeah, that's about it. All right. Well, to be continued, I will hit you guys up when I'm back in Vancouver. And I just can't thank you both enough. Thank you. Thanks, April. And that concludes this episode of Anchored. Thank you for listening. Join Captain Justin Leake and Meredith McCord for the best fishing action along Panama City Beach. Tune in to Chasing the Sun every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Oh, my God! Every once in a while, it's fun to go with, like, just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.